Hello, you're listening to the Up Spiral Leadership Podcast with your hosts, Poe Chu, Rebecca Breitling, and Sue Covelli-Buntley. This podcast is dedicated to helping leaders at all levels to think bigger, act bolder, and collaborate better in order to create positive change even when it's hard. Join us as we explore journeys toward a world where everyone is running to co-create a better future because they feel valued, inspired, and connected. Hello, everyone. This is Rebecca Breitling. I'm here with my co-hosts, Poe Chu and Sue Cavelli-Buntley, and we are really excited to introduce you to our guest for today, Ron Arrigo. We all actually had the pleasure and the honor to work with Ron for several years at Chubb Insurance, where Ron served in multiple senior level HR roles, as well as I believe Ron was in, you started off on the business side as well. So he has uh, so much to offer in his brilliant leadership experience, both on the business side and in HR. And we got a chance to get to know Ron working with him, but also we've Since he moved on from Chubb, we also got a chance to work with him in his role as Chief HR Officer at the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And now Ron is the head of HR at AAA Northeast. And we're excited for you to meet Ron because Ron is not only just a brilliant business leader and HR leader, but he cares so much about activating talent within each person. And we have had the pleasure of experiencing that personally in terms of how he has supported us in our careers in HR, but also how we've seen him support others in their careers in in the different organizations in which Ron has worked. So he cares so much about developing talent, but he's also an amazing connector, advisor, friend, and he's just all around a fun person. (laughs) We always have fun whenever we're talking to Ron and whenever we're with him. And he has a ton of great insights and advice that I know He'll be able to share with all of us today and we can learn from. So, Ron, thank you so much for being here with us today. We, it's we really pleasure. appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for the very kind and generous introduction. It's wonderful always to be with you and Poe and with Sue. It's going to be an awesome experience. So, thank you. Oh, no, thank you. So, Ron, we thought maybe we would just start off with having you share a little bit about yourself with our audience. Yeah, absolutely. So start maybe with the personal side. So very fortunate. My wife, Mary Beth, and I just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. We had the good fortune of meeting at Boston College many years ago and are blessed today with three children, twins. Our daughter, Catherine, is at Boston College, a senior studying human resources. So I'm uh, oh, really proud of her interest in the path. Mm-hmm. Our son, Thomas, is at Syracuse uh, studying communications and sports management. And then our youngest son, Matt, uh, just graduated high school and decided to take a gap year. He's our most uh, adventurous child, which we love, different than my wife and me and our other two children. But it's taken a gap year before he starts at the University of Colorado at Boulder and is off on some great adventures. The great regret with COVID is he can't explore the world as, as an 18, 19-year-old child, but he's off soon to do some mountain climbing and hiking and backcountry skiing. So, cool. And then last, we have uh, our awesome uh, six-year-old golden retriever, Chester, who's Yay. the love of our family. On the business side, yes, 28 year awesome experience at Chubb Insurance, which of course included meeting each of you. And I did a myriad of things there, started there as a trainee at the entry level of an organization that I felt, you know, just an amazing part of. And I feel fortunate that I helped to influence and shape, you know, a lot of what we 
collectively did to make a difference. Um, and in the end, just so proud of the products and the services and the relationships with which we uh, had the pleasure of having. So as you mentioned briefly, I left Chubb when it was acquired and it was a difficult decision. I could have stayed, but we were not part of a merger. It was an acquisition and I aspired to be the head of HR. I had an opportunity to develop into that role at, at Chubb, uh, no promise, um, had to work hard, but was being supported as a candidate, not necessarily the candidate. Um, but when we got bought, it was clear that that was not going to be a wish fulfilled there. So I made the difficult decision you know, with the support of Mary Beth and family and my personal board of directors, uh, which I think is an important thing for each of us to have, to strike out on my own. And it was hard in the beginning. I'm not a person who likes to ask for favors, but my wife uh, reminded me that I show up for others and they'll show up for me. So went on the journey. I, I don't like surprises. So as much as I embarked on the journey, I just wondered how it would end. Um, I'm not the best at the holidays. I'm the kind of person who peeks at the Christmas presents. <laughs> <Me> um, <laughs> so I really just wanted to know how it ended. Um, but I was reminded to en enjoy the journey along the way. And it was. And I have built the most phenomenal network that I promised myself I would never let go of once I established it. So I am voracious and accepting invites, um, meeting new people, helping others who need to meet other people, just to pine on their approach and their search for five minutes or five hours, you know, whatever it takes. So that got me to the head of HR at the Commonwealth, which I may speak of a little bit more during this conversation. And that was something I did knowingly for a couple years. Um, public service, I think, is important. I've done it on a smaller scale in our local community, and I, I, I felt it important. Um, it, it met all of my wish list items as I embarked on a new journey, but for a couple years. And then at a couple years, I embarked on the journey to find the next great opportunity. And I was fortunate along the way to have... Good fortune and less fortune. It was up and it was down, which provided just a richness of experience. But in the end, I got what I wished for, which was choice. And I worked hard for that. And it allowed me to make what I believe is the best choice in AAA Northeast one year and two months in. And it's been awesome. So, and I'm looking forward to sharing some of my experiences this morning. That's awesome. You know, it's so interesting just about hearing you talk about not really liking surprises. And the thing about careers is we really never know where it's going to lead to, you know, thinking about starting off as a trainee and the path that you took, like who would have ever thought that you would have ended up where you did because we can't predict these things. And I'm like you, like I hate surprises. I read the end of the book first to see if we're <laughs> reading the whole thing, but you know, we, we just never know what is going to happen. And it's, and it's, the hard work that I know you've put into it and the authenticity of staying true to who you are, I'm sure has been a big part of your ability to, to find new opportunities and the relationships you build because you're so, so good at that. Um, and we, we appreciate that we've been able to remain in that network of yours <laughs> of friends. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. 
So Ron, we're really interested to hear a little bit more about your passion for creating change, because we know you have been a huge change leader. You have advocated for changes within organizations and beyond to really bring out the best in people and to help them achieve greater success, both individually and also collectively. So curious to learn more about your passion for creating change. Yeah, I appreciate the question. I, you know, again, 28 years at Chubb benefited, like each of you, in many best practices that were established uh, within that organization. But always knowing that we're part of an organization, a culture, a philosophy where incremental change was always welcomed and, and fully embraced, albeit sometimes challenging. So I learned a lot about that, you know, in my time at Chubb. We didn't really experience great change at Chubb because, again, so many things were managed so well. It was more, if you will, kind of polishing the gem until the very end, you know, when Chubb was acquired by Ace. And and that um, provided us an abundance of change. Much of it was good and some of it was hard, but it just reminded me of the importance of taking what you've learned, the good and the bad, and applying that in other areas of opportunity. And when I chose to leave Chubb, my wish list included being the head of HR for an organization. And in doing so, and in being so, I wanted to be in a position where I could leverage what I learned at Chubb and to facilitate change. And I found that in the Commonwealth. You know, when I I took on the role, I came just on the heels of Governor Charlie Baker being elected into office and him being a former CEO of a healthcare organization. So I say that to say that he was a business leader who appreciated human resources and the importance of good work, smart work being done through people. He inherited a workforce at the Commonwealth, which was earnest, long-tenured, hardworking, but in being long-tenured was increasingly likely to retire. So he was in a place where he had promised a lot to the constituents, most of whom who voted him in, and mindful that you get work done through people and process and technology. And he had to ensure that he had the head of the human resource function that was able to attract a team and the team to attract the resources to get the work done. So for me, that was the value proposition that lit me up in the way of opportunity. And although I had some other um, opportunities um, happening, it just facilitated everything that I wished to do for a little while in my next opportunity. And it really was the change agent role that was of greatest importance to me. Mm-hmm. So as you think about the lessons you've learned and maybe some of the challenges that you faced along the way, whether at Chubb or at the Commonwealth or now at AAA Northeast, what might be an example of one challenge that you faced? And we talk a lot about thinking bigger. How were you able to think bigger to be able to face that challenge? So I think in the face of change, you know, as a change person, change agent, you have to always be mindful of communication. Communicate, communicate, communicate. And I think in thinking about you know, that approach, you have to always answer the question for the audience, the stakeholders, as to what's in it for them. 
in order to get them on board. So in my experience with the Commonwealth, I inherited a multifaceted business, if you will. I mean, it's government, but it was a represent. It is a representation of various businesses: transportation, health and human services, information technology, finance, to name just a few. And HR was replicated in each of those business units. And for the most part, the newer leaders to Governor Baker were with many challenges. And quite honestly, a few of them felt very well served with the human resource infrastructure that they had inherited. They didn't quite yet understand nor appreciate what they didn't have in the way Mm -hmm. of human resource infrastructure and approach. And they were focused on other things. So one of my initial challenges was to help them to understand what they didn't know they were missing. And that was first in the mention of talent retention. So what are we doing for their workforce to help them to maintain their workforce, engage their workforce, to continue to do the hard and smart work that they you know, were showing up to do every day? There was a change of leadership, change of philosophy that was more apparent with some than others, perhaps, but some just failed to appreciate while they were focused on other important things, that change is hard, change was occurring, it may not be so obvious, and they needed to be more attentive to it. I'm just curious for you, was there any change you needed to make in your own mindset in order to influence the results you were looking for? Absolutely. I am not the most patient person. (laughs) I'm a planful person, but... Usually, and, and, and again, a learned experience at Chubb, most things went really, really well. <laughs> There's a lot of planning behind the scenes. I mean, we went to execute. More often than not, we executed flawlessly. Not always. Yeah. So I expected that that would go with you know, good intent and, and, a, and a planful approach that the execution would go as I was accustomed. But it didn't. It did with some. It didn't with others. And what I experienced in some way, and I say this with appreciation, some personalities were far more controlling than others. So for me, as the head of HR, and with the support of Governor Baker, and I worked most closely actually with his chief of staff on a day-to-day basis, through her, much was accomplished. And, but I had to earn my way around the building, if you will. And some were not interested in sharing their resources or in adopting a better way if they believed it to be a better way. So I had to learn patience. I had to learn that I had to earn their trust. I had to adopt, you know, a competency that isn't obvious. It isn't often in the list of competencies when you talk about such things, but the art of storytelling became Mm. an incredibly important lever to adopt. So, and I can speak more about that. Yeah. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So Uh, I think that, you know, I think too often is the case in managing change where, you talk either an anecdote or perhaps you favor the approach of data. But I think the winning formula is 
both. So of course you have to root yourself in fact, or you're likely to be by many dismissed early as not being credible. But anecdotes important. You have to also represent, you know, what else is going on in the organization that can't always and completely be captured in statistics and numbers. So it's it equals storytelling. So how do you marry both to be able to set the scene of what's occurring in the organization and create a compelling vision that people can rally around for change? That's awesome. Ron, um, you know, I, I would love to actually learn more about that because, you know, as you said, change is hard, right? And I know at Upspiral Leadership, we, we often partner with leaders to talk about how to lead ourselves through change and how to lead others through change and even to invent change. But along the way, we often talk about how everybody's not always ready for change, like, like yourself, you know. So we all have different change tendencies as we talked about it. You know, some love to drive change and rally for change, but some of us really struggle and then even oppose change very actively. So I'm just really curious if you could share maybe one or two stories around how you were able to really influence others to join you in creative positive change, especially with those people who might oppose and struggle with change. If you have any stories around that, that would really help us um, yeah. understand your, your, your ideas a little bit more. Absolutely, Poe. So, you know, for me, I'll, I'll use my experience at the Commonwealth as a change person, as um, at least my start as an example. And so when I came into the role, I wasn't the only person who was new to Governor Baker's team. He had worked to recruit some other business leaders, along with thought leaders, you know, from government. So it was a, a real nice blend of experience that he had brought to his leadership team. I found it important to read the group, you know, as I was initially talking about why I had accepted the role and, you know, as I was being introduced and and what, you know, my goal was in my role, I could see in the audience that there were some naysayers. Some of it was obvious. Some of it was body language, and some of it was probably a little less obvious initially. But I also saw nodding of heads. And, you know, in short answer, I, again, you know, the, I lack many things, but I don't lack intuition and emotional intelligence often. So I could read in the audience that I had some supporters. And as I spoke about my initial observations and my appreciation for the opportunity and how I would go about starting the conversation for change. I thought first to follow up with those that seemed to be more receptive, more nodding in agreement, more with smiles (laughs) than sentiment of disdain perhaps for change. And one of those happened to be our head of uh, information technologies, a gentleman by the name of Mark Nunnally. Mark Nunnally had been previous, the managing partner for Bain Consulting. He had come into Bain Consulting as the managing partner after Mitt Romney uh, had been um, governor of Massachusetts after being an initial founder of Bain Consulting. So I say that in background to say that this gentleman, Mark Nunnally, was 
seemingly very optimistic and welcoming my being part of the team and what I was speaking about when I spoke about a true HR team and the infrastructure that goes along with that and what we hope to accomplish in attracting, first retaining the talent that existed that does good work every day, all day. Second, mindful that we as an administration had adopted or inherited, I should say, a team that was increasingly aging. And through statistics, we were seeing with good benefit retiring and needing to be replaced. And we had to be attentive so that we had the right people in place to do the work that this administration had signed up to do. So he became the first person I asked for a meeting with and became a second voice for our change. And we became fast business partners. And um, he spoke in support. You know, when I went to cabinet meetings on Fridays from 10 to 12 and was given the opportunity uh, on some of those Friday meetings to speak about change, he was always a voice of support. And I used that to help to manage as a lever to get the next conversation that would also sign on for support. And mindful that there were a few who were not at all interested in this change and just be thoughtful about when we actually worked to approach them to tackle their objections to manage the change forward. Ron, that is awesome. Thank you so much. And this is, it's so cool listening to you talk and you talked about your whole life and career about enjoying the journey. And I feel like you're taking us on a journey. (laughs) So thank you for that today. Uh, One of the things that we're uh, about ready to move into, if you're ready, is the lightning round. Sure, absolutely. Okay, cool. And before we get there, I just wanted to personally reiterate what Rebecca and Poi have said in our appreciation of you. Because when I think of, I have to mention, some awesome things <laughs> and the word awesome because we have that special word in common because uh, we both believe in the power of the word awesome. Uh, but anyway, when I think of even the highlights of my career and even my life, you were always there. So I just Thank wanted you. to make sure that you knew that and that all of our listeners knew that because that's who you are. So everything from leader leading major leadership development programs like Breakthrough to taking a group of us to venture into Paris after a long day of meetings (laughs) when everybody just wanted to go to bed. (laughs) I'm the person uh, who was there, but you definitely Absolutely. The city of lights awaited us. No matter what time of that case, night and then morning, we had to embark on that. Right, because we were about to miss it. We were about to miss that moment. And Ron, you never miss a moment. You have that gift. And I loved when you talked about storytelling, because a lot of times when we think about storytelling, we think about telling stories of the past, which you do so beautifully, but you also tell stories of the present and of the future even more brilliantly. And that's what influences positive change. And that's what influences people to become their best selves. So that's a gift that you have, because I know sometimes in my career, in my life, I would forget some of the things that might be my strengths or and people around you might have forgotten what was you know the beauty of their soul but you're always the one to remind them which is amazing thank uh, so thank you for that and now for the lightning round all right bring it on so ron are you ready i'm ready the first question is what leadership trait does the world need the most 
So I feel like breaking out in song, what the world me- needs most, <laughs> other than love, sweet love, is right. I-, I think collaboration today more than ever, we need more leaders to be collaborative. And I-, I just think, you know, in the way of example, you know, front and center is project warp speed and not to talk politics. I'm not interested to do so, but I do just think that that's a great example of great collaboration. And I think I understand best from my news consumption that it's a best practice. So it's government, it's scientists, it's business leaders, the military, airlines, and other logistic-based organizations all coming together you know, to disseminate these vaccines to combat this virus. And I just think it's a true silver lining in all that the globe is experiencing. I just think it's a best example and collaboration is it. I just think we need more collaboration. Absolutely. And you said it just so perfectly. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, leadership is so important today, because if we think bigger, act bolder and collaborate better, anything is possible. And, it, and what you're describing right now is such a good role model for every part of our lives and organizations. So completely agree. And and, thank, and thank I would add to that, Sue, that if I could, that, you know, uh, and I thought to mention maybe in my early description of example yeah. at the Commonwealth, like fail fast, right? So yeah. You know, science is an example, and I live here in Boston, in the Boston area, and there's, you know, just so many wonderful mission-driven organizations that are working hard and smart every day, one of which is Moderna, who's coming up, like Pfizer and some others, with with a vaccine. And they are examples of teams and organizations, individuals who try something new every day that they wake up not knowing if it's going to work at all. But for good fortune, and with coronavirus uh, as an example, they nailed it with 90, 95% efficacy. If they didn't have the mantra of try, try again, fail fast, get up and try it, you know, try it another day. If it doesn't work, we wouldn't be in the place that we seemingly are today. So I, I just think that, you know, try, try and adopt the adage of you can fail fast and learn from learn from that to enjoy success later is important. I love that. It, it, it starts flipping your mindset in relation to what failing really means because it's, it starts, you start to have that positive connotation of failing and mistakes and because it's progress, it's bringing us forward, which is, which is such a beautiful way to look at it. So uh, thank you for that. Awesome. Awesome. See, awesome. <laughs> it's up all the time. It's always, it, you can always use that word and it works. <laughs> okay. So Ron, who do you know that best models these traits that you're talking about, whether it be the collaboration or the failing fast or. Yeah, I have to, I mean, I have had the good fortune of working for and with again, awesome leaders But the example I would give is Governor Charlie Baker. I mean, for me, for those listening that aren't familiar with him, so he's the governor of Massachusetts, which is a very blue state, very democratic. And he is a Republican governor who has earned national accolades as the most popular governor across the United States, you know, through polling. And 
The reason that I believe he has earned that is he is a person who truly, as a, as a governmental leader, he is a person who reaches across that proverbial aisle. So he, as a Republican governor with a you know, majority Democratic uh, Congress, uh, state Senate, gets things done. He brings people together and explores in the conversation what is common, common ground. And he exacerbates, you know, the feeling of getting things done for the importance of the constituency in an exemplary way. So I I just hope we find that more going forward. I just don't think we found it not only in the recent past, but in the very recent past, but even in previous, you know, history, near history, I should say. So I just think he's, he's just a great testament to a person who is a great collaborator. Excellent. And I think you're right. And that definition or that behavior takes collaboration to a whole new level. And that's exactly what our world needs today. That was a, is great. And talk about walking the talk. You just used storytelling and you include <laughs> anecdotal and data <laughs> into your storytelling. So nice job. Thank you. That um, was, was perfect. Okay, next question. What do you believe that almost no one else believes? I would say it's less about no one else believing, but I I would probably introduce my response to say that I believe too few people believe that systemic racism is real. I have to say that it, it really has resonated more with me this year than ever, and I've really matured in my thinking that systemic racism is truly real and it's pervasive. And on the heel, I say that to say, in my experience as being the head of HR of a 3,300 person organization that is largely diverse, mostly diverse in our non-exempt population than exempt population. And I say that to set up to storytell to say that on the heels of the killing of George Floyd, in working to understand the sentiment of our employees, I learned a lot. And I learned a lot in speaking with a couple of gentlemen in our organization who are Black, who each told me stories about how on their individual occasion, one I'll share, where he and his wife and two children had met to go out to dinner. They had met at his office in upstate New York. They had enjoyed dinner, only then to go home in two different cars, his wife driving in front um, with their two children and him following them home. And in going home, they passed a police person on the side of the road and his wife was speeding. He saw the police person first, she did not. He followed her, but watched his speed only to then be pulled over. She was not. She is not diverse. He is. And that police person, you know, demonstrated what I believe to be, you know, part of the systemic concern of a person of color, you know, not breaking a rule, but under suspicion and having to be subject to something that a majority person wasn't, who in effect broke the rules. And it just that's just one story of several stories I heard as I 
and other leaders in my organization set off to better understand how racism is impacting our people, our families, our work, and our lives overall. So it, it's just, I, I just believe that too few people believe in it and or believe it's true, it's real, and I believe it is. And, uh, and I'm proud that our organization, our leadership is all one voice in looking at our employees' experience to rid ourselves of any systemic racism within our organization and in doing so, hopefully making impact in our communities in which we, in which we live and work. That was beautiful, Ron. And okay, I, I don't think I've ever been choked up before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's a very humbling, you yes. know, it's just very humbling, but so real to hear a person's story. Right. It's just, it's just amazing. And, um, and I love that you're able to tell the story and that you are able to tell the story because you care so much and because you have that radical curiosity that our world needs right now and that ability to listen. Uh, so thank you for that all yeah. around. Beautiful. Okay. It's also, I, I, I want to add one thing, which is yeah, like, please. that's also like the, I believe part of the solution is, yes. is knowing each other and hearing each other's stories. And the more that we could be practicing that and sharing our stories and hearing stories the, the less we're going to have this racism and bias that pulls us apart, the more we'll be able to just connect as humans and, and truly embrace each other. I agree. Absolutely. Beautiful. So Ron, <laughs> I can't wait to hear this. Question was probably <laughs> <written> for you. <laughs> uh, but what's the wildest idea you've ever shared with others? I would say, in the context of being asked for advice by a coworker who was disgruntled in their in her experience um, with her work, and in pushing on what made her so unhappy, I learned that it was really the relationship she didn't enjoy with her boss. So, I'd say in response to what's the wildest idea I've ever shared with others, I'd say you need to tell your boss what you really think of him, and and I say that because. We spend a lot of time at work and we get up each day and you know, we get ready to go to work and we spend the majority of our time at work and how our experience goes at work each day then sets us up for how we come home to our families. And if it's not a good experience during the day, I don't know too many people who can turn it off at the door and then turn on something else to be a different person for their families. I just don't know how that really, really happens. And if it does, that just has to zap a person of their energy and their authenticity. So I say, if you're not with an awesome experience with your boss, you darn well need to work at how you address that conversation. So in my experience, I worked with my coworker to help her to address that. And, and I think it is something you just don't, you know, enter into lightly by any means, but you don't avoid it either because that will just erode and not just, and not be healthy. So yeah, you need to tell your boss what you think of him. Um, and it really starts with a statement of intent. So you need to approach the person if it's, 
an experience that you're having to say, I'm not happy and I'm maybe thinking of leaving. I'm not engaged. Um, but before I would ever think to do so, I wouldn't want to not speak with you about how we might work together better. And I always, you know, would tell, and in this case, this person that don't speak of others, only speak of yourself. It always would incense a person to hear that everyone feels, everyone thinks, don't do that. That will degrade the conversation and distract from your point. So use I statements, speak for yourself, speak about your own experiences, and be part of the solution because it is a two-person arrangement. And I think that that would set up for at least a better conversation. So that that's my example of a wild idea. Um, never taken lightly, but I think too many of us have experienced that and too few of us have tackled it. So uh, I know it was helpful to the person I gave that wild idea to. It resulted well, not exceedingly well. <laughs> um, it didn't exactly change the person, but it did change the dynamic for the better. Yeah. And the more we have that courage to have those conversations and we share our positive intent, the better off we're going to be because we have a lot of things that we need to be talking about in this world today. So, And there's a lot of things that go unsaid and miscommunications and misperceptions. So the, your wild idea is something that could ripple into so many different situations. So it's a perfect answer. Thank you. Excellent. Okay. So last lightning round question. Okay. Ron, what is your biggest wish for the world right now? Deep, deep sigh. So it would be normalcy for sure. Like, I mean, this is one example and there, I, I, I don't know of too many where the whole world is experiencing, if you will, the same thing. I just don't know that that happens. I can't, I can't honestly think in my lifetime where perhaps we've had this example where it's a level playing field. So I'd say normalcy. And I, I have to say, and this is my own personal experience, and, and I, I would introduce it by first acknowledging that it's a first world problem. But personally, this is tough. You know, I have, as I said in the outset in introducing more of my personal life, I have two kids in college and they're seniors in college. And this should be the year that they're winding down their studies and they're, you know, deepening their relationship with their lifelong friends and starting to think about their, their futures and what they might want to do, but even better where they might want to travel with friends before they embark upon a job, which may be a career, but they can't do that. You know, it's, it's really protectionism and staying healthy, staying safe, um, staying out of trouble, you know? <laughs> trying to have some fun and not getting caught, in all honesty. And then my youngest son, you know, that this should have been the year where he enjoyed a high school graduation and our drop off selfishly at college and wishing him well, shedding some tears and then selfishly, my wife and I having an empty nest and traveling, finding a dog sitter, and then just embarking upon various places uh, and reconnecting. But we can't do that. So, and our friends can't do that. But I'm mindful that 
others are getting sick, losing elder parents, and just not losing their livelihoods. So we just need to get back to normal. Even if normal wasn't great, I think all of us would embrace what was normal to then start anew. And I've adopted a personal mantra, which I've been sharing, which is take this time to get physically healthy, mentally healthy, and as best you can, financially healthy, and emerge strong. That's my mantra. Emerge strong. To the best of my ability, I'm working on that. Excellent. Beautiful. And if we could all do that, that's what then we can look back at 2020 and know it was hard, but know that it meant something and it's going to add value to the rest of our lives. So that's perfect, Ron. Thank you. So, so great. So at the, at the core of our business and what we call the up spiral leader mindset, which you know really well, because you live there every day, we talk to leaders about thinking bigger and flipping, flipping their limiting beliefs into possibilities for more collective success and that collaboration you talked about. So as we end the podcast, we wanted to share one limiting belief with you uh, and hear how you would replace it with a more empowering belief that would produce better results, better outcomes, and a better reality. Uh, so you, are you ready to end our podcast with helping us Regrettably, um, I'm I'm ready to end it, but I'm <laughs> absolutely. I know, I I agree, but consider, Ron, how you might reframe the following limiting belief: change is hard. So I would say I'm an eternal optimist. I know Sue like you, and and I, I often say blue sky is my middle name. It's really John, but uh, I'll say blue sky is my middle name sometimes to my detriment. But I would say you know turn changes hard around and say and feel and embrace that change is all around us and it's happening right now. And the change that's happening right now is really good. So embrace it. Love it. That's beautiful. And on that note, and I, we 100% agree Ron and your optimism and it was been such a pleasure and we have been so thrilled to have you join us on this podcast and We hope you join us on future podcasts. We appreciate everything that you've done for us, for this world. (laughs) And we can't wait to see what happens next. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. So thank you, Sue. Thank you, Rebecca. And thank you, Poe. It's always great to connect with you. And yeah, I mean, for our, our listeners, we make a difference. You know, we show up and we operate with nothing but great intent and good things come come as a result. So. Because I really love what you said about working with people who oppose change, struggle with change. And so I really just wanted to add, I, I really appreciate that, that, that story. I, I love the fact that you see that change agents don't have to act alone. When you mentioned about this partnership with the head of information management or I, the, the IT person, I felt that, you know, that that should be the mindset we have as change agents because anyone in in the position to drive change or to create change um, can really partner with others who are enthusiastic about change and maybe partner with them first, right? Because leadership is really no longer an individual act. You know, it often happens in the collective. So this partnership mindset is just so critical. And I love that you share that because I feel like the more, the more likely we'll be able to partner and influence those, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is like the more we can partner or the more we can have this partnership mindset in mind, the more we can bring along 
those people who might be opposing or struggling. So I just want to share that and, and, and thank you for, you know, um, mentioning that because I think that's really helpful to all of us as we, as we know, we're going to navigate so much more change ahead. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And I agree. I mean, the role of change agent can be a lonely role, but it need not be that. And I do think it is important to read the room, you know, and see who you may tap to come along for the ride and be an early adopter, perhaps better said. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you so much, Ron. Thanks so much, Ron. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Upspiral Leadership. If you enjoyed this show and want to join us in co-creating change, please email us at upspiralleadership at gmail.com. You can also support the show by leaving us a like and review on Apple Podcasts or by sharing this episode with your friends and colleagues. Thanks again and stay inspired.